0: Dear listeners, before we start with this episode, I have a general notice. Due to some technical issues, this episode is not about the Yazidi culture and history, as was mentioned in a previous episode. There will be an episode about these topics, so stay tuned. For now, enjoy this episode with Professor Kizilhan.
1: Hello and thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Yazidi Voices, um, this is Senya and Tamara speaking and today we are joined by Professor Jan Kizilhan from Germany. He will speak to us about the Yazidi culture, his work with trauma patients and his project in Iraq. Thank you Professor Kizilhan for being here today, um, I think we have a very insightful episode to come and uh, we have many questions for you um, but first would you mind introducing yourself a bit?
2: Yes, thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Uh, my name is uh, Professor Jan Ilhan Kieselhan. I'm uh, the director of the Institute of Transcultural Research and uh, at the University in Germany, in Baden Wurttemberg. At the same time, I was a medical and anthropo- therapeutic head of the special project of the state government of Baden Wurttemberg, uh, especially for most vulnerable women who we take from Iraq, Yazidi women. Uh, to Germany. It was about 1,100 women and children Uh, and uh, among them it was also Nadia Murad, the Nobel Peace Prize winner of 2018. I'm at the same time the Dean of the Institute of Psychotherapy and Psychotraumatology at the University of Turk in Kurdistan region of Iraq. I'm doing, um, I'm working as a researcher, uh, as an international researcher on psychotraumatology Violence, terrorism, and migration, but also in Islamic radicalism, prevention of violence. And uh, since 20 years, I'm working as an as orientalist also in the issue, especially on minority with Yazidis, Kakais, Shabaks, Zoroastrians, and other minorities in the Middle East.
3: Okay, that's very interesting. I um... Uh, how did you start working with the Yazidis? Uh, when did uh, it happen?
2: Actually, um, as I mentioned, uh, since 20 years I'm doing research about the Yazidis, about a cultural background, about um, the religion background. Uh, since uh, the 16th, more than Uh, 30,000 Yazidis started, came to migrate to Europe, especially to Germany, so it became a group which is uh, well known in in Germany, but also for researchers since the 80th century in England, Russia, especially also in Germany, they were interested in the issue of of the Yazidis. It is a small group that the world didn't know so much until uh, the IS genocide in 2014, and after then, it became a little more awareness about the Yazidis and the minority in, in the Middle East. So if uh, you talk to me, where are Yazidis and who are Yazidis? So, uh, actually, Yazidis um, uh, believe in one ethnicity and in one God. In other words, it's a monoistic faith. Uh, Yazidis called uh, God as Khuda or Khuda. Which means the ones who created himself. Uh, they uh, have seven angels like uh, Islam or Christianities. Um, the angels are included in the Yazidis' daily prayers. Uh, the difference between the Christianity and Islam maybe is they have a sh- um, chief angel, which is called Tawosi Melek or Peacock, uh, angel commissioned by God uh, with a um, the violence of the world, world, and in particular, to protect the Yazidis. Uh, the Yazidis have a system and belief which universal principles on ethics and morals, right and wrong, uh, justice, truth, lo- uh, loyalty, mercy, and love. You can just be Yazidi. As a, born as a Yazidi, you cannot convert to Yazidism like Islam or Christianity. Um, if you ask the Yazidis about the history, mostly the way will say they are one of the oldest religions in the world, which uh, I can agree if uh, make references to the mitra's religion in relationship to Narasan um, and Roastrians. Uh, the Yazidis have reported massacres uh, since the Arab invasion and on the middle, and Middle East since 600, 637 when the Islam came, uh, the Arabs came with Islam to the Middle East in Iraq, Turkey, and now uh, in Iran as well. Um, and they forced most of the people to convert to Islam. People who are denied were, um, to, uh, to convert were killed like today by the IS, where we uh, or another radical organizations um, they still considered in the Islamic world as an infidel or non believers, which is not true, but sometimes this is a legitimation to kill or to massacre or to do genocide against uh, Yazidis. So as a result of this pressure of being forced to convert to Islam, um, they uh, try to choose somehow to protect themselves and choose a way of isolation, this is the reason why the Yazidis Live for hundreds of years in small villages in the hills or in mountains like Sinjar, because this was their own way somehow to to survive. Uh, this is briefly that I can tell you about the Yazidis.
3: Oh, thank you. That was a really good and briefly explanation about who the Yazidis are and where they come from. Can you also tell us about what happened to them in 2014? Because we're talking about trauma. What happened?
2: I mean, in 2014, the IS started uh, to occupy the Yazidi settlement, especially in Sinjar. Uh, this was strategically very important, which is linked to the way to Baghdad, from Mosul to Baghdad, but also control the areas around Syria and Turkey. Is the three angle, which is strategically very important, where Yazidis are living now. Uh, the second uh, issue. As I mentioned, uh, they believe the Yazidis are infidel. Uh, they are non-believers and have the right to enslave Yazidis or kill the Yazidis. So um, uh, this, uh, according to my researches, and if we look on the um, report by the UN who was published now on 10 May, 2021, uh, the, actually this month, it shows very, very clearly as this was uh, Organized systematically uh, genocide against the Yazidis with the aim to destroy the society. Uh, And this uh, they did it. I will just give you some examples maybe. So when they started in 3 August, uh, uh, went to the villages and the city of Sinjar, or it's called Shingal, Uh, they divided men from women, they divided a young women who are not married and married, they take all the money, gold, uh, smartphones, everything what they have. Uh, to remember, me to the genocide against um, the Jews, the Holocaust, the Nazi regime did the same. They take all the worth of the uh, Jews' people. Uh, uh, then, mostly, they killed many of the men. So, um, uh, females uh, were um, divided in small groups uh, first they were interested uh, in non-married uh, young girls uh, and after and some old women and men they take them as, Slavs, as slaves and they work for uh, for example on fields in Mosul Telapar, to make cheese to take care on the sheep's uh, cows uh, and to, uh, to produce uh, something for the IS, so they were working as the slaves. Uh, the one group who was not married, they take them first to Tel Afar or to Mosul in small angry uh, and great schools. And then they started them, for example, in Mosul and in one of the biggest cinema complex uh, to have a market. Uh, people around the world, Arabic world, from Egypt, from uh, Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, came and looked after the young uh, girls uh, like, uh, like animals and uh, choose and pay for them. And this mostly was happened not one time, it's many times. So I know this from my Personal experience to talk with the Yazidi woman. in 2014 and 15, I talked to more than 1,400 young women personally, interviewed all of them, and wrote reports for the German government. And since 2016-17, I'm still working in Iraq, and we do psychotherapy with the survivors of the Yazidis. Uh, so far, in uh, uh, it is uh, really um, uh, it's unbelievable in the centuries that we face a genocide. It's not just like in Rwanda or in, in Bosnia. They make them slaves. Uh, they raped young women, children, girls from beginning from nine years old girls, raped them uh, hundreds of times, sold them 10, 20 times. So these are the reports that I witnessed when when uh, my patient talked uh, to me. Uh, and. Uh, The most interesting issues, uh, nobody supported the Yazidis at the time. Even the Kurds withdrew them from these areas. And they were, for one or two weeks, totally helpless. Someone tried to to fly through the mountains uh, with hunger, no food, no water. Many of them died through the flights, um, through the mountains. And um, some of them tried uh, to fly to to Syria or to, to Iraq. And we had in 2014-15 about 450,000 Yazidis who left the areas and living in refugee camps. And still 350,000 Yazidis living in in the refugee uh, camps. And this impact, of course, you can imagine. It is not just uh, one case of uh, take one or two women or groups uh, in captivity or hostage. Or oh, this was not the case. Just take girls uh, for their own sexual interest through the sexual assault. This is a method which always happened as a part of a war uh, crime uh, historically. Every time they use women as a weapon against the community, and they know the Yazidis are a very traditional uh, group. They are, uh, are believed in honor. They are not believed. They are. Not allowed to have any sexual contact with non yazidis which the IS know very well, and so they believe if they rape Zidi women, so they will first destroy the uh, destroys community, uh, make them passive. And I know many cases uh, after, for example, one IS terror, terrorist take one girl as a hostage, calls through some smartphone her father and say, "Look, I will call. I will now rape your daughter." And he was so um, uh, collapsed, uh, he didn't know what what he can do, and uh, committed uh, suicide. And this happened many times. Many of the women uh, did uh, suicides, uh, or tried to to commit suicide, a lot of psychological disorders. And this is a collective trauma, which means this affect and impact the whole society. Even you were experienced yourself or just heard it from I know it's from, from Yazidis in Europe, for example, or another part of the world. Uh, they were somehow witnessed the third when it started and third August, the horror. Relatives called them, they uh, listen to the radios on, or, or watched on a television every day, you know, at that time, it was every day on the agenda. And they traumatize themselves because you remember the old, uh, the old, uh, old genocide that happened to the Yazidis, and the Yazidis police, they face now 74 uh, genocides. So it's impact the society, but it's impact, of course, all individuals who serve uh, traumatized, and uh, this will impact, uh, as far as I can observe as a researcher, it will impact uh, the so long term for more, for the next generations.
1: Thank you. Um, that was, yeah, a very, very detailed in description and it made, yeah, me, I think us understand it even better than before what happened. Um, can you maybe because you work you already touched on trauma you work with trauma, can you maybe tell a bit more about what exactly is trauma and how do you work with it, um, and how does it affect people,
2: maybe. Trauma in general, in my understanding as a, a sense, uh, an attack on our understanding of the world, uh, which. Will we not expect it? Uh, it came suddenly, and uh, our understanding of the world is cannot somehow accept it. So, it means a confrontation with the events which the psych is not prepared, our psychology is not prepared, on which it cannot integrate or assimilate because it do not understand what's happened to them psychologically. Uh, a person who has experienced something terrible like this trauma genocide suffers from certain forcible psychological damage. Uh, The spectrum of of traumatic disorders range from result of a single Mm -hmm. overwhelming incident to the multi-phase consequence, like the Yazidis face as a genocide or massacre and uh, of prolonged and repeated abuse, which happened many times to Yazidi girls when they uh, sold by one uh, terrorist to the next guy. So, among other things, the consequence of the trauma is actually um, emotional regulatory disorder, such anger or withdrawal changes of awareness, um, such as derealization, A disturbed sense of self perception, such as feeling of being stigmatized. If you just take the example of uh, honor and rape, for example, a disturbed or perception of Preparators such as endowing him with omnipotence because they were helpless; they couldn't do anything against the terrorists. Mm -hmm. They were weak. Uh, Relationships then became problems such as distrust, uh, distrust in the world, distrust in human because human is killing human, whatever, even the IS terrorists. So it changed the value and the system and lows firm of beliefs themselves and the self-esteem. Is affected by them. And these, uh, these symptoms can be seen in a world where a variety of groups, such as veterans historically, uh, soldiers, victims of terror attacks, and abused women, uh, and uh, a community at all. So, wa- violence actually is a case of violence to extend um, to which we have seen uh, in Syria and now Iraq uh, against uh, social groups, uh, political, cultural causes. Uh, so, uh, if I, I I spoken to and examined over a thousand genocide survivors, so you can see the change, the, the sense of change of the nature of a person. The person personality became to change after such kind of, of trauma, and they became different. They are not the same people before the genocide happened. They are different, and they cannot somehow deal with the emotion, emotion with the behavior. Uh, also, ideas, and they try to understand themselves and the world, but always they uh, are asking for the question, "Why it's happened to me and to my to my community?" And if you don't have a real, uh, real logical answer, and that's uh, make also it's impact the psychology of, of people. So, it can take center, the count sometimes several several generation, as we can observe by Yazidis. It's a kind of time collapse. Can be recorded when people love is subjectively in two times which uh, overlap the reality and the history what happened to them and in the case of Yazidis we have the reality of 2014 but also the reality of the ancestors which also is kind of mixed to sure. the individual trauma and the historical trauma of the ancestors but the uh, react, react The body, with body pain, uh, with headaches, uh, with be tired, with depression, with nightmares, with anxiety, and different kinds of symptoms. So uh, I believe there will be also many, many victims who cannot process and assimilate their traumatic uh, experiences. So this uh, remain maybe lifelong as a burden, and not only to themselves, also to the society. And this is the question. Uh, uh, Will be the Yazidis are ready to cope this collective trauma for long term and what will be the perspective of the Yazidis especially Uh, we still we don't know what will happen to the Yazidis can they back to uh, uh, to the um, settlement to Sinjar for example or they have to stay um, Now no they are now have been for six years in refugee camps so if you don't have a future a positive perspective you will remain in your trauma and remain in trauma means to face every day to go through the hell and uh, because you have no idea if you don't have idea tomorrow what will be, be better maybe and you have an idea of tomorrow and the next day, so you can prepare, yes, yes, there's a little hope. I will try to cope for myself, for my family, and for my community. Uh, But this is the basic. If we do psychotherapy with traumatized people, they must have a perspective for tomorrow. Otherwise, it will be very difficult to do psychotherapy.
3: Wow, yeah. So you actually already mentioned that the trauma doesn't only affect the person, but also the whole society behind it. And I think we can see this with the Yazidi genocide, but I think also with the Armenian genocide that the people, this generation, it still has an effect on them, uh, even though it were their ancestors who went through the trauma. And I think this is called transgenerational trauma. Can you um, explain more about that?
2: Yes, you're absolutely right. We, um, we have many minorities or another group who historically may face um, many traumas or genocides. Um, today, we're talking in Germany about uh, uh, the genocide, uh, which uh, had happened in 1910, 80 in Namibia by the Germans, and they uh, declared today as a Holocaust after 100 years and more. Uh, and this has happened to the Armenian Armenian uh, people in 1915 to 1924, where more than one and a half million people were have been killed. The same happened to the Assyrian Christians also, and another minorities and Alawis and the same uh, to the Yazidis. The question is, actually, what will happen to the next generation if the ancestors face one or more more, 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 general, more massacres and more traumas. Uh, we know from the Holocaust researchers, at least after four generations, still there are some symptoms, trauma symptoms, psychological symptoms, even the fourth generation didn't face any trauma and any genocide. And uh, if we take the Yazidis as an example, Yazidis faced uh, three in the last 800 years, at least 74 genocides. This means it's not just a one generation who faced maybe 500 years ago, one time a genocide and then somehow they cope and everything is fine and okay for the next generation, this is not happened by the Yazidis. Uh, uh, We know from our our researches at least in the last 600 years about 1,800,000 Yazidis were converted by force to Islam, so still we have millions of Kurds who are historically were uh, Yazidis and they know this and this impact also the relation between Yazidis and Muslims, because they know my ancestors, all of them were Yazidis, if you just take uh, the city of Tukhok where I'm working, uh, it's uh, historically called the city of Dassini uh is a uh, as a name, or uh, as a tribe of the princes of Yazidis, this the cities were belonged 150 years ago to the Yazidis, but now uh, you have maybe uh, two or five percent are Yazidis in, in the city of Teheran. Uh, so it's somehow it's defected here. So there, if you look on the Yazidis, we have been persecuted and excluded for centuries, over generation in Iraq, Syria, Turkey. Uh, This transgeneration trauma is passed on from generation to generation through a range of cultural, religion, narratives, emotions, and behaviors. Uh, And uh, this came again and focused and centered in August 2014 when the Yazidis remember and say, yes, the Ferman, Ferman is the name of a holocaust and the Yazidi narratives, yes, the Ferman started again. So they know from the ancestors, the stories and narratives uh, about the historical trauma. So, uh, of course, at the same time, so we're talking about a collective trauma, the 3rd August in 2014, it was a collective trauma because all Yazidis. Uh, this was the aim of the IS to destroy Yazidis and kill all Yazidis. So, all of them somehow affected by this collective because it didn't make any differences between young, old, women, girls, male, female. They targeted them and wanted to kill them. So, so we have a historical trauma, which I, I, I mentioned as a transgeneration trauma. Uh, we have the collective trauma, which was happening in August 2014, which still continues somehow. And, of course, we have the individual trauma, each one is affected They have their own pain and own suffering and own trauma story, and uh, this is some kind of a violation and destruction against against the Yazidis. Um, so. Uh, uh, this happened also, we you know, in Rwanda and Bosnia and others. But the difference between them and another group, maybe like in Rwanda or Bosnia, this was not the first time. And uh, if you account 74 or 70 genocides in six, 800 years, so you can imagine how it will impact the next generations. All Yazidis know from the Holocaust and they changed the behavior regarding um, non-Yezidis, because they don't have trust from the experience, which is true, uh, and around them all are Muslims. And I will not say all Muslims are bad, of course not, but uh, there are radical groups still in in the Middle East and believe they somehow have to kill all non-Muslim groups, and Yazidis are always one of the weakest group. They don't have international support like Christians, maybe. Uh, and so, and this was maybe also a reason why the IS choose especially Yazidis. so then they know they don't have any background and uh, uh, no country will support them, no religion groups will support them because nobody knows them and they can do as an example to uh, make a new idea of uh, terrorist radical ideology in the name of Islam.
1: Thank you, Um, and how, so you talked about collective trauma, transgenerational trauma, and then how do you um, face working with uh, trauma patients? Is there any any barriers, especially with the Yazidis, um, like maybe cultural barriers for psychotherapy um, and so on?
2: Yes, well, uh, we focus and we call this a transcultural psychotherapy or transcultural trauma therapy. Uh, which means we start uh, with a cultural culture that people belong to, like the Yazidis. If you don't take account these three types of trauma, uh, like uh, transgenerational, historical trauma, collective, and individual trauma, you cannot understand the individual pain of the people and how uh, you can uh, make a um, psychotherapy if you cannot take about the same issues. So, we have to wait to understand each other, but also cultural to each other under, uh, understand each other. So, we need unit uh, to, to know the coping strategies. What is the coping strategy of the Yazidis? The culture was very important. Religion was somehow a psychotherapy. Uh, the community solidarity and loyalty between each other, uh, the caste system, the rule of the priests were very important. Uh, the area of or the holy shrine of, of Lalish was very important for psychotherapy. After this, uh, after this trauma, rape, most of the women, for example, went to Lalish uh, and uh, somehow to, um, to believe in God and to get any support was a spiritual uh, leaders which was happened and this was important also this is culture but we have to implement such kinds of ideas and even techniques for example to send them to to Lalesh, which we with we support uh, will, will help them so that means religion can be a part spiritual can be part of psychotherapy which is a use as a silence as a as a support um, uh, you are not able to do psychotherapy just with modern Western idea of psychotherapy because um, psychotherapy was founded in, in the West, especially in America and in Germany and England. Uh, but they have a way of understanding illness and health by indigenous people have different way of cope. Uh, if we're talking some old um, Yazidi women and men in, in refugee camps, they don't know what is psychotherapy. They don't know what the psychologist is doing and they don't sometimes why I should talk with you this will not help speaking is not helping I need medication so uh, first we have to make an understanding why as to speaking about trauma uh, is very important why psychotherapy is a good a thing that can help you to cope your trauma and uh, help you to, uh, uh, to do or have more uh, for example, have a better better sleep or emotions and feelings, uh, and this is important. So, and we know from history many times ethnic groups, different kind of groups, have faced major catastrophes, means wars, conflicts, and different in areas. Uh, as you also mentioned, still. If, um, When in Armenian and in Karabakh the problem was happening with Azerbaijan, Um, many, many of the Armenian told me they remember their own uh, the the trauma of the ancestors uh, during the Ottoman Empire, so something that happened in the history and passed from one generation to the next generation is not over. It's still part of the next generations. And uh, this is maybe in the same time, a resources resilience that we can use it for psychotherapy. And so somehow they find a way to cope with the conflict and grow with it. And what is it, how they can do it, I mean, the main question I asked me for the last 20 years, how it's possible that uh, minority groups like Yazidis, Zoroastrians, Shabaks, Armenians, Christians, how they could survive in the last 1,400 years in the environment of hate, of war, of crime. So, something they have developed, some, some techniques and copes, and we have to learn about that what kind of technique they use, how, how they could survive. And we can use this in the modern way of, of psychotherapy. And this is what we mean with transcultural psychotherapy. We need a trans understanding of a transcultural psychotherapy to understand our patients with their own historical, cultural, and religion background to implement this in the psychotherapy. And in this way, Uh, we can help and support the people more effectively just to make uh, psychotherapy techniques which we learned in in western world this will not help it's not effective uh, enough
3: okay very interesting to hear how psychology and uh, psychotherapy is very uh, known in the western countries but yet in the middle east uh, especially among minorities it's unknown and especially them going through a lot of traumas. I think it's for them very helpful. And you also asked the question, how is it possible that so many minorities, Yazidis, the Armenians uh, or the Assyrians have survived so many uh, well genocides or attacks or wars, and they are still very resilient. Do you have an answer? What are their techniques? How do they cope?
2: Yes, a um, change with the times, the rituals, the ceremonies, They believes uh, this kind of narrative uh, implemented in stories, storytellings. So uh, in the Yazidi culture, they have a different kinds of uh, rituals when you visit Laleh, for example, the holy shrine. Uh, so they, they understand uh, if they have faced some genocide or massacres, they became close to each other uh, they supported each other uh, they linked to each other uh, if you look on the system of the Yazidis they have a very interesting caste system which means they have a sheikh as a priest a peer also a second priest um, and the uh, general common people they are linked to each other in, in different um, um, conflict problems, they visit each other, they support each other from village to another villages, um, and through music, uh, the, the music, deaf and speech, in, in, in Yazidi community is very important, and this music is telling about all traumas. If you look in deep about what they are telling, to talk, uh, to make music. Uh, to have a different kind of rituals and ceremonies uh, help, could help the people somehow to, to deal with them, which means it's not meeting, it's over. The problem with the Yazidis, is it's never ended. This is a problematic issue. So we know from indigenous people in North America or South America, if they faced 150 or 170 years, one massacre, they still suffered somehow, but it's different because it's one massacre. And we have now four, five, six generations after them. So, they can deal with them. And um, as I mentioned before, uh, still the future and the perspective of the Yazidis was never clear. Uh, just give you an example of Yazidis in, in Turkey. The main center historically of the Yazidis were in Turkey uh, and not in Iraq. Millions of Yazidis were living in Iraq, uh, in Turkey. And now we have not more than 500 Yazidis who are living in, uh, in, in Turkey. Can you imagine that from millions of people who are now exist just 500, most of them old people? So we are witnessed now uh, the slow and secret genocide of Yazidis who started hundreds of years. And unfortunately, it will end it in the next two generations. In two or three generations, we will not have one Yazidi official in Turkey. And this can help. Also, happen to, to uh, if uh, in the Yazidis in Iraq can happen with them. Uh, in Turkey, we know as many of the Yazidis went uh, to Armenia, to Georgia, to another areas, uh, and uh, so Yazidis, if they don't have a perspective, they will leave Iraq, and they will separate it, and they it worldwide. And then we will we have no idea now what will happen to them in three, four generations in general. In the Yazidis, so uh, the. Um, but came to your question uh, to know about the historical trauma, and in every generation, they develop techniques how to fight and how to deal with you, uh, with your neighbors, which are not Yazidis. Um, this makes them strong, uh, give them a different kind of resilience, and so this is my observation. So when I talked to the Yazidi woman, and they told me so. Uh, unbelievable stories that you cannot imagine, uh, and I, I say how she can still stay and talk to me. Uh, I'm a psychology professor. I just say to myself, I don't know if I'm experienced uh, the same uh, experience like my patient. I don't know if I could uh, cope and survive maybe I would committed suicide or something else, but no, the Yazidi women are standing up and saying, no, we will fight, we know from our ancestors, and we will not give up. So, in some cases, they give us more hope than we give them hope, because they are so strong, and this is the reason why they have a strong and good resilience, and this is a basic for psychotherapy, a basic to hopefully have a better future for all the Yazidis.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. As you mentioned, the Yazidi women are very strong. And in the beginning, you mentioned one of those strong women, and that is Nadia Murad. She is now the face, uh, well, she's doing a lot. She her uh, lawyer, Amal Clooney, they're working together to help the Yazidi community, especially in, in Iraq, but also the woman, because Nadia Murad is also one of the girls who were held who was held in captivity by IS and you mentioned working with her. How was that? Can you say something about that?
2: Yes, Nadia Murat is one of the strong women that I know and some of them came to Germany. Are there now writers, uh, are speakers worldwide invited? There are built uh, their own societies and foundations. and uh, this is very interesting because the Yazidi community historically is certainly as a very patriarchal traditional society. Uh, the, but despite this, after this IS uh, genocide, now in this patriarchal society, uh, the woman became the voice of the Yezidis like Nadia Murad. And I, I remember very well when the first time I met uh, Nadia in Iraq in a refugee camp, uh, with a lot of crying, anxiety, because they, they came a couple of weeks before was freed by IS. Uh, and with the time, they, she understands uh, to deal with trauma means not to be a victim. And this is very important. Uh, so I, I don't like the words of victim when I am talking about Yazidi women. They are survivors of war. Uh, they survived a war and they're still fighting against an injustice and uh, fighting for the women's rights and sexual violation if it's happened uh, in Iraq or, or another world, and this gives me a hope that the woman will change the paradigm of the Yazidi society and uh, the word of honor or dishonored hopefully will be not my exist for long term. And uh, in the therapy, sometimes they said, I lost my honor because they raped me. And uh, according my, my culture criteria, uh, they don't accept me maybe, and they will exclude me. So there are a lot of worries and anxieties. Uh, but then I ask, who lost his honor, you or the guy who raped you, the IS terrorists. He lost his honor, not you, because you are not doing anything. You were helpless, you're weak, you cannot defend yourself, and they killed your parents, they killed you, maybe husband and children, and you are not able to do anything. So we have to change the paradigm that the woman. Uh, have the right and fight and this is this is maybe one of the positive if we even talk about positive issues and uh, um, as a sidekick of a of a a genocide Mm -hmm. as the woman became more about aware about the right as a woman and fight for them. So uh, I hope this will continue it's not just for a short time after the post genocide. So, uh, but this is also a chance for the Yezidi woman, but also for another woman, and to, uh, to stand up and fight for their own rights, and fight for their own rights mean fight also for the right of the Yezidis, and to fight for justice, and uh, like Nadia Murad, to do everything that all prepared us should came to the court, and, uh, uh, and we still uh, missing uh, about 1,200 Yezidis, and we have still uh, to fight and find this woman this is our Uh, our our, um, it's a kind of our job Uh, so we cannot rest and say no it's it's finished it's not finished so where are the years it is 2,800 I know from cases where you find some women in Iraq uh, in Turkey in Ankara or we know from some women who take by the IS to uh, to Pakistan Afghanistan or Tunisia so this is somehow our obligation Uh, to fight and to find this woman and give them a chance to come back home.
1: Thank you, I think it's very interesting also to hear um, overall that you've been telling how you learn from them and they learn from you and how psychotherapy is developing. Uh, with it and um, with the experiences. So thank you for all this insightful information. Um, Lastly, I wanted to also ask you about your project um, that you have in Iraq, your education project. Could you talk a bit about that?
2: Yes, we are. Since 2017, we have a project in uh, Iraq because after when we started um, to take one thousand one hundred women to to Germany, so we thought we cannot take all Yazidis or another refugees to Germany. We have to do something in uh, in Iraq, and started up to set up an institute for psychotherapy and psychotraumatology, where we trained uh, psychologists, medicine doctors, and social workers, uh, in a master advanced studies to be uh, licensed psychotherapists. This is the first time in Iraq that we have now licensed psychotherapy with a master degree. Uh, in 2015, uh, 30 students started, they uh, are now finished our licensed psychotherapists are working in refugee camps and hospitals. Uh, this uh, second group will be finished now in June, this is a final master defense, so I will visit next week Iraq and we, uh, we will have exams. And so the second group we will be finished in October. We started last year. We started with so the third group. The idea is that we need psychotherapists, professional psychotherapists in Iraq. They have this kind of background of transcultural psychotherapy, which I mentioned before. They know their own culture, they know the language of the people, and they know their own peoples. So we adapt the modern way of psychotherapy and adapt the culture, religion in Iraq at the universities. It's an academic degree, as the first time, and I hopefully another universities will follow. And my vision and my dream uh, is maybe having 10 years, 500, 600 psychotherapists. Uh, when we started in 2017, uh, we had no one licensed psychotherapist in the refugee camps or in the hook, no one. And in in the world, Iraq, we don't have, we have maybe 10 to 20 licensed psychotherapists Uh, in an area where we are working with 2 million people. Still, we have just five psychiatrists. So this is a long-term project. Long-term project means also, uh, we have, for example, we are working with different uh, NGOs. who are working in the refugee camps, but are we working with the government, uh, with the health directory, uh, and our idea is also through a network at trauma network to make more about, aware about psychotherapy, what is psychotherapy, uh, common people should know this, what is trauma and how it can, uh, it can impact the people, if people have a lot of information about uh, psychotherapy, it will reduce the stigmatization of psychological disorders. Uh, uh, still in Iraq, uh, sometimes they're they're hidden, they have no any psychological problems, they just have a headache or they want a doctor, but they don't have any psychological problems, so we have to break this also, but this can just happen through academic long-term work, uh, and uh, hopefully you will success somehow.
3: Wow, it's very inspiring, uh, the stories you're telling and the work you're doing, um, and before we go to our last question, I do have another one, and that is how do you see the Yazidi future after all these traumas and the diaspora they are living now? Yeah,
2: actually they are um, on, the, on the line between not survive for long term, but maybe also on the line to understanding this trauma and growth with this trauma, to know what it's means to survive the trauma. And with this trauma, maybe they can change some of the Yazidis' paradigmas, because they are now living in, uh, in different kinds of countries, not just in Iraq, for example, we have 200,000 Yezidis just in Germany, uh, now in, uh, in Canada, in the US, in Australia, and, uh, and um, France, or Scandinavian countries. So. The Yazidis are not living alone in Iraq and they are not isolated. So they became a, bar, a part of a globalization world. And this is a challenge for them because uh, as the last 800 years they had very clear rules because they were isolated. They could do that. Uh, they had villages just with Yazidis so they could live their culture, religion, and so on. And this will not be possible anymore. And this is the biggest challenge. Um, to understanding the trauma And with this understanding, uh, the question is how we as Yazidis, as a community can survive in Iraq as well in the world, in America, in in Europe uh, was there. And so far, we don't have really any perspectives because still the Yazidis are suffer from trauma. Uh, Still, we don't have so much doctors and psychotherapists who can support them. So that will need time. And um, uh, according to my observation and research that I'm doing with the Yazidis in the last 20 years, so uh, they can survive if they can change, if they change the rule and adapt in the Western world. But if they remain in the trauma and are not flexible in changing the rules and criterias, they will not survive for long term. So, there's a one way to, to survive in the global world to grow with this trauma. And the second way, which I hope will not happen, uh, it can be happened that they uh, will not exist anymore in five generations, five fifth generation as a group, as an individual, you will access, you can say I'm Yezidi, but not as a community. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, since now, it's really not clear what will happen to Yazidis. Uh, so far, it's very important to, to, to support them, to give them political rights in Iraq, as a special group, uh, to be a part uh, of a political agenda. Uh, the, the world should support the Yazidis to go back to, um, to Shingal and supported by the infrastructure to rebuild Shingal again. Uh, alone, the Yazidis will not able to do that because they have no capacities and not any, any, any support. So. Uh, uh, with the support of the international community, for example, like the um, Afghanistan conference which held each year and they collect by the government different kinds of government, million of uh, monies uh, for re-instruction or re or uh, the infrastructure. We need those kind of conferences and support by, by the le- leading countries in Europe and the US. Just with this, they will be maybe hopefully have a, have a future as a community.
1: Yeah, hearing this, I think um, it, it is possible to even see this almost as a chance because you said they had to be resilient for so long. They were more, more isolated and being now forced, unfortunately, to be part of the Western world. Maybe if they have, do become part of the political agenda and if we do uh, create this awareness and they are also maybe able to shape the political agenda, then. Then this could actually lead to to yeah growing the community or strengthening the community in the end, which would obviously be our goal. Um, so yeah, I think we've arrived at our last question, um, which is we ask this to every podcast guest: um, if you could say anything to the world, what would it be?
2: Yes, um, at this moment there are a number of young uh, women who have. The children from uh, the perpetrators some the IS terrorists as a result of rape uh, or children born of rape. Uh, neither the Iraqi or the Kurdish government in abila and Baghdad have any concept or plan to support this woman and the children. Uh, the Yazidi communities also not accepted the children, just the women and girls, they can come back. Uh, But we don't have any idea what will happen to the young woman who have will want to live with the with the woman. So we need some help for this woman and the children, if this is an interest of Yezidis or not Yezidis, because they are humans and as a human we have to support them somehow. And the last point is um, uh, at the same times almost 2,800 Yazidis are still missing. And these uh, must be found and brought back home.
0: Almost 2,800 Yazidis are still missing. That is awful to hear. Thank you, Professor Kizilhan. I think this is a beautiful way to end this episode with a call for help for the Yazidi community and especially the women and children who are still suffering. Before I end this episode, I want to thank Professor Kizilhan for joining us today and sharing some insights of his honourable work with us. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit the follow button and share it with your family, friends or colleagues. For more information, visit our socials under the name YSD Legal Network. Stay tuned for our next episode.